Hello, my name is Dr. Kim Farina, and I'm a veterinarian, and I'm host of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis, which is provided to you by Zoetis Pet Care. Here's what we're hoping, that these six podcast episodes provide you with new information about heartworm disease, get you up to speed on the exciting new product, ProHeart 12, with the active ingredient, moxidectin, and hey, let's have some fun along the way. I'll be interviewing six extraordinary guests who all have stories to tell, information to share, and no doubt some laughs because I've got a few trivia quizzes sprinkled throughout the show so you can test your knowledge on some topics that have nothing to do with veterinary medicine. Another thing, you don't have to listen to the episodes in order, but they do have a flow so it may help for you to listen to them in sequential order. Here's what's most important. If you want further information on heartworm disease or ProHeart 12, please contact your local Zoetis representative, distributor representative, or visit ProHeartDVM.com. Today we are interviewing Dr. Christy Early Murray, a regional strategic veterinarian with Zoetis. Welcome. Hello. Where are you right now? Hi, Dr. Farina. I am um, in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, in my office. So, so tell me, like, what does a regional strategic veterinarian do at Zoetis? Well, we, we travel a lot. Um, all kidding aside, it's very similar to a Zoetis professional service veterinarian that supports general practitioners. My main role as regional, regional strategic veterinarian is to provide technical and educational support and collaborate with um, ER specialty hospitals. Uh, along with veterinary schools in my region. I work with a pretty diverse group, ranging from students and technicians to veterinary experts in their particular area of specialty. And I, I truly enjoy it. It's a great opportunity to be able to just, not just share information, but to in turn learn something new during every interaction. Uh, Zoetis is truly committed to the profession, and I love sharing all the resources that we have to offer that demonstrates that support. That is fantastic. And how in the world did you get there? Like, what's your veterinary background? Okay, well, like many veterinarians, I knew I wanted to work with animals since I was two. I grew up on a tiny dairy farm in Wisconsin and have a tremendous love for cows. Uh, prior to veterinary school, I worked at a humane society for about eight years, doing everything from kennel work all the way up to public relations. And then I went to college during uh, my tenure at the shelter. And then after earning my bachelor's, I worked for an animal health company as a territory manager for several years. And then uh, after graduating veterinary school, I practiced as a companion animal veterinarian, no cows, for about seven years. <laughs> and then in 2013, I joined Zoetis as a technical veterinarian in uh, Portland, Oregon. Nice. That is that is really cool. And now, I do imagine you have a life outside of veterinary medicine. I I do. It's pretty crazy. Uh, very actually very crazy. I have 3 children aged 3 and under and wow. <laughs> until just recently 3 rescue dogs. Okay. So pretty crazy. Oh my gosh. And how do you integrate all these things like the work life integration? What does that happen? Um, I try to make it happen, but it doesn't happen well. It's not easy. I have to remind myself to be present and in the moment. And that is something I think that we all, we all work on or all have to work on. So there's just not enough hours in the day and time is, you know, it's one of those most precious resources that 
I think a lot of times we forget um, just really how precious time is. Yeah, that is so true. Absolutely. And I mean, really now, the big question I have for you is, are you also keeping up with current events? Because it's time now for our first mini quiz of the podcast. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So no, no, let me explain. Okay. Cause I see your face and you look worried. Don't be worried because there's no pressure because there is no prize. It's just that I think our, our producer Max can play like a bunch of people cheering for you. So I just have to check with him. Max, is that okay? Oh, okay. You hear it? See, that's great. And then I have a bell. So when you get the right answers, I'll ring a bell for you. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So the first quiz is called Current Events. You fill in the blank. I'll read some news and all you have to do is fill in the blank and you will be timed. Okay. So I'm going to set the clock and we'll see how well you do in a minute. Okay. It's easy. Sounds great. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I got my bell. So, all right, here we go. Number one. Recently, NASA announced that they would be heading back to blank in 2024 instead of 2028. The moon. Yes! Number two, new research comparing the anatomy and behavior of dogs and wolves suggests dog spatial anatomy has changed over thousands of years specifically to allow them to better blank with humans. Bond. Okay, I'll take Bond. I was thinking communicate, but that's cool too. Yeah, yeah. Number three, on June 4th, 2019, a meteorologist at the National Weather Service noticed what appeared to be a large rain cloud on the radar. The cloud turned out to be a huge mass of tiny flying dots. It was discovered that it was a swarm of blank flying in sync. Bees. Ah, no, they were ladybugs, actually. Can you believe that? Yes, ladybugs. So, all right, here we go. Wackier stuff is coming. Number four, a farm in British Columbia is aiming to break the Guinness World Record by gathering 356 people to participate in the world's largest blank. Dung beetle collection. Ah, so close, but so far. No, a goat yoga class. Uh, Man Farms will be asking these people to participate in the session along with their farm animals. So just imagine like it's a goat yoga class, but like what if there were cows? You would be so happy. I would would love that. I need that. (laughs) Number five. Okay, last one. Beef burgers, burritos, and other enduring student dishes are off the menu at a London university in order to help with what? Blank. Saving the animals. Close. Sorry, I'll give you a little bell. So let's get back to our interview. Today, we are going to talk about your dog, Gracie. And tell us a story about how she became a part of your life. Huh. Oh, sweet Gracie. So Gracie, um, she was definitely my heart dog. Her nickname was Good Girl. My son named her Good Girl because she was such a good girl. Um, In 2013, I went to Turks and Caicos for my honeymoon, uh, Grace Bay specifically, which was noted to be one of the top 10 beaches in the world at the time, um, essentially paradise for honeymooners. But the one thing you won't read in Travel and Leisure magazine is uh, that there is a 
tremendous stray dog, otherwise known as pot cake problem that exists there. Um, so shortly after arriving at the resort, we encountered our very first pot cake and she was in terrible condition, Kim. She was emaciated. She had multiple wounds. She was limping and bloody from constantly itching herself. Um, she was, she was essentially broken and her eyes, her eyes just, they burned into my soul from that second, from that moment she had me. I was obsessed with helping this, this dog, um, yeah. yeah, she just, so, so we had to go home, yeah. right? We had to go home. All good things had come to an end. And during that long, very long flight home, all I could think about is how terrible I felt um, leaving her behind, especially since I spent every day looking for her and bringing her food and water. And um, side note, she really liked Chobani yogurt. <laughs> you did um so once we got back home um i called pot cake rescue and asked how i could help and i thought you know i'll just pay for her adoption but i i found out that adult dogs there that don't have collars um, or signs of ownership are typically trapped and put to sleep because they're considered a nuisance Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. um and they just don't have the space or the resources so um, my husband was out of town on business and um too bad for him i promptly agreed that I would adopt her. Uh, <laughs> yes. And how did I she get, okay. agreed. <laughs> explain more. Wait, so how did she get to you? So, um, so they had to trap her because she was feral. I couldn't pet her. I just would feed her. And so they trapped her and they, um, had, she had to go to a private kennel where they socialized her. She was there for about seven weeks. And then during that time, they, looked and found a chaperone, Mm -hmm. um, a volunteer transport chaperone that would bring her back to the U.S. And um, that's how we got her home. Wait, so when she got off, did she, so she obviously flew, she was on a plane. And then when the plane touched down and she came out and what was, what was that like? So um, it gets even better. Um, she didn't come all the way to Wisconsin. She actually touched down in Iowa, which meant my um, brand new husband had to go pick her up in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> so I was working, um, but she was she was scared. You know, she wasn't overly socialized. And then um, he brought her home, and I had two other dogs at the time. And the first thing she did was bear all her teeth at my two little King Charles. Oh. So, so I didn't really know what I was getting into initially. Oh my gosh. But what a story. And I mean, and you just fell in love with her and, and obviously it was much more than the eyebrows, you know, giving you the look, it was just her whole being her soul, as you were saying. Yeah, it was. I mean, she really, she had me at hello. And I think as veterinarians, we're so compassionate and sometimes our heart, um, our lead, our heart leads us before our, our head does. And in this situation, it, it did. And it turns out that Miss Gracie had um, a few friends that would join her uh-huh. home. And those friends were Mr. Sir Copti's mange and Miss Demodex. Uh-huh. She had um, intestinal parasites and she had Ehrlichia and several other other things that that joined her for her trip back to the United States. Well, you know, speaking of all those uh, 
friends, um, you know, as a veterinarian and we're talking about heartworm disease, I've treated dogs with heartworm disease and, you know, it's a little bit of a nail biting endeavor. You know, what was it like being a pet owner? And it sounds like she had, she had heartworm too, right? She did. And um, not only did she have heartworm, I learned when I was taking radiographs to stage her disease that she had five puppies um, that would also have microfilaria um, floating around. So not only did I have to think about treating Gracie, um, I had to think about now that those puppies would be potential, you know, reservoirs for heartworm in the community. So back to your question about treating her, it was terrible. Um, you know, treating heartworm is entirely different than preventing it. Those worms are not easy to kill and it takes, you know, it takes an arsenic derivative. So as a veterinarian, I never had to put myself in the shoes of a pet owner. And here I had to go through that experience with, with my pet and my family. Um, you know, based on Gracie's travel history, she was deathly afraid to get into, um, you know, a vehicle. And so trips to the clinic were challenging. We had to go six times, so six back and forth trips. And Gracie would urinate. She would defecate. She would vomit because she was so fearful um, of riding in the car. And it was just, you know, it was difficult. So that was difficult. And my husband actually had to bring her in for her final treatment because I couldn't bear to bring her in one more time and to leave her undergo, undergo another painful deep IM injection and a full day surrounded by strangers. And she was super painful um, because heartworm treatment involves steroids. So we couldn't manage her pain with, with non-steroidals. We couldn't give her um, anything outside of tramadol, which we all know is debatable in terms of whether or not it's effective. And so that was her pain. She was very painful. She couldn't go up and down the steps and we lived in a three-story home. The cage rest yes. was, was horrible because, you know, it took us a year to really earn her trust. Mm -hmm. And so to separate her from family was very difficult. My son was just learning to walk. So, um, I had to separate her from him because he would use her to balance. And I was afraid she was so painful that she would bite him potentially. Um, you know, it took over a year for her to start to run and to blossom and feel comfortable enough to play in the backyard like a dog should. So to be able to like have to put her in a kennel and restrict that broke my heart. She would watch from our balcony as we took the other two dogs for a walk. And, um, she was just being walked three times a day. So she, how do you explain to a dog that you're not punishing her, that she just can't go for her typical walk because, you know, you're trying to prevent her from dying from a thromboembolism. So it was just, it was really hard. And I think about the emotional cost it, and the fractured human animal bond and that broken trust. It was, from my perspective, it was just, it far outweighed the significant financial cost. It was just really terrible. Yeah, that sounds, oh, that sounds heartbreaking. Um, is there a happy ending to this? Did Gracie end up okay? So thank God she did end up okay. Um, she made it through the treatment and miraculously, because she was such a fantastic dog, um, that bond um, definitely remained intact. And, um, you know, I 
I'll just never know how much internal damage she did suffer from heartworm. I don't know how many times she was reinfected. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not sure, you know, despite being um, cured of her actual heartworm, I don't know, you know, internally how much damage was done. And unfortunately, this past um, spring, we Gracie became suddenly ill and I had to put her to sleep. So um, I miss her. I'm so grateful for her love. She came into my life during a time when I was broken. I was grieving the loss of my sister. And so she really rescued me, excuse me, just, just as much as I had rescued her. So she's dearly missed for sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, oh my gosh. I'm well, you were very lucky that you had her in her, in your life. Um, oh. Yes, I was the lucky one. I was the lucky one. She taught me a lot. And yeah, we were, she was definitely my hard dog. I love my other dogs, but I don't think I'll ever replace her. Right. right. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh. Well, I, I want to touch on something that you said about heartworms and how they damage a dog's, you know, internal organs. You were talking about that. Can you explain more about that? You know, your thoughts on it? Certainly. Um, first, let's think about the heartworm life cycle. I, you know, forget until you actually are treating a dog or have gone through it. It's, it's easy. It's not something that I, you know, that we expect to remember from veterinary school. So the heartworm, a diaphragmatic imitus life cycle begins when a mosquito draws blood from a heartworm infected animal, for example, you know, a dog or a coyote, and ingests those babies, so those microfilaria. And then those microfilaria undergo, undergo a series of three molts inside the, the body of the mosquito to that final infective L3 larval stage. Um, those L3 larvae can then infect another mammal when a mosquito takes its next blood meal. And the L3 stages then molt and migrate through the connective tissue and muscle to the pulmonary arteries, arriving there as immature larvae, uh, approximately 100 days after infection. And these small immature larvae are distributed mainly to the caudal distal pulmonary arteries and over the next two to three months develop into sexually mature adults and migrate towards the right ventricle. If both sexes of worms are present, microfilaria are produced six to seven months after that initial L3 exposure. And signs in dogs can range from asymptomatic, um, similar to Gracie, all the way to congestive heart failure. And the number of worms is not always that determining factor. It's that level of activity. So that's why the cage rest is really important. Um, and that's more closely linked to post-treatment complications. Um, so really critical. As the worms mature, they continue to do damage to the heart and lungs, causing damage to the vessels, pulmonary thromboembolism, um, usually due to those worm fragments, uh, vascular resistance and pulmonary fibrosis, hypertension, um, all eventually can lead to that right heart failure. In fact, when going back to Gracie, when I took those radiographs, I, she had a distended abdomen. I thought she potentially had ascites <laughs> and um, I realized that she was pregnant. Um, so 
these changes will most likely occur with or without treatment and could potentially be avoided, of course, with, with appropriate prevention. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, you know, I always thought about the end stage of heartworm disease um, and how the adult worms really wreak havoc on the body. But it sounds as if the early stages can even be problematic. They can. And we know that by five months, the worms can cause damage to the dog. And typically, you know, this is before these dogs may even test positive. So you may not know that they're positive based on, you know, a, a traditional bedside testing and they cause inflammation and scarring. It's much more than just the obstructive disease we classically think yeah, about. Yep. Ex- absolutely. Well, thank you. Christy, for sharing your story about Gracie. Um, I appreciate it. And my heart twists a little bit when you were telling her, I, I, I feel it. Um, again, I'm still so sorry about it. And I'm sure our listeners, though, can um, glean a lot of knowledge from, from that story. So, well, um, I'm going to brighten things up a little bit. And although, you know, Gracie is is still bright in, our, in your heart, um, and I actually have another quiz for you. Oh, oh boy. Okay. I better do you're better this time because I'm competitive. No, so. Doing, okay. So, so keeping with our heartworm theme, I actually wrote some limericks about heartworm in preparation for this episode. Okay. So yes, I said limericks um, and, and they do have to do with heartworm. We're going to have fun. Well, I, at least I hope so. You know, this is this is the section where either our listeners are going to be like, oh, this is so funny, or they're going to like fast forward through it. So I'm hoping I have high hopes on this. Okay. So so bear with me. All right, here we go. So, so this is the second mini quiz I have for you. And it's called, I read the limerick, you fill in the last word of the poem. And as you remember in a limerick, you know, it's the first and second and fifth line that rhyme. Okay. So the same rules apply for the first quiz. <laughs> There's no big prize, but just the self-satisfaction of having excellent rhyming skills. Okay. So this, okay. you're on this. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> there once was a man from Rome who treated a cane corso named Jerome. Blood blockage in his heart, perhaps caused his cardiovascular collapse, the vet declared its caval syndrome. Yes! <laughs> Wonderful. You get it? Like Rome, Jerome syndrome. Yay! <laughs> and we're getting just warmed up. I love this. Okay, here we go. There once was a mosquito from Bulgaria who landed on a dog from Bavaria. Was a tasty blood meal. Baby heartworms were real. The vet said they're called microfilaria. Excellent. Yes, that was great. Like Bulgaria, Bavaria, microfilaria. You know, you have a huge grin on your face. And I just want to say, aren't you like a little impressed with my rhyming capabilities? Like to rhyme with microfilaria? I am. And I think you should get a prize. Well, okay. There's a bell for me. But and the nice thing is, is you don't have a pained expression on your face, so I can I can keep going. So I have another one for you. Are you ready? I, I am ready. I'm having a blast. This is great. And you're such a good sport, so thank you. Woodland animals from Fort Knox were spotted near a mailbox. Mosquitoes had their snack, a major drawback. Now an infected wolf, coyote, and fox. Yes! 
fantastic. You did great. I was thinking maybe I need to rethink this section of the show, but you have a huge smile on your face. I'm smiling. No one's crying. So this is good. And I love Dr. Seuss and rhyming, so this is perfect. Let's okay, just keep so, going. Yes, and you know, with your young children, of course you would like sail through this, no problem. So very cool, very cool. I have a few more bells for you. Excellent. Oh, see, Max, I knew he could do it for us. That's great. All right. Well, I think we should get back to the uh, the interview. Um, so heartworm, it is a devastating disease, and the damage occurs so early, and it just... As we were talking about earlier, it's prevention is so critical, right? I agree. Sadly, heartworm incidence is still increasing despite us having good preventatives. We've had preventatives for, I think, almost 50 years. It's just, it's sad. Why, though? That's the question. Why is this happening? Well, I think despite having safe and effective heartworm preventative products, the disease continues to spread. Additionally, we see the parasite emerging in areas where we did not previously see it, particularly due to population mobility. As pet owners and their pets and rescue dogs like Gracie move from highly endemic areas, such as the southeastern U.S., they can help spread the disease to other parts of the country if not properly tested and treated. And I fly often for work and every flight I see somebody traveling with a pet. It's becoming so common. Heartworm, heartworm cases have been diagnosed in all 50 states now. Changes to the environment and natural uh, climate conditions, as well as animal movement, as we just um, discussed, have increased the potential for heartworm infection in more areas around the country. Um, and I think the Heartworm Society guidelines, they added an algorithm on um, how to test dogs before you relocate them. So it also makes me worry about the compliance rates people ha have with, um, you know, the monthly oral preventatives. And I'm I'm one of those with poor compliance. It's just, it's very difficult to um, stay on top of anything with yeah. um, such a chaotic lifestyle. So, Oh, right. Absolutely. You're so correct about that. And I mean, let's talk about what happens if people miss a dose of oral heartworm preventative. Yeah, so missed or even delayed doses allow the potential for an infection to progress to the point where a subsequent dose may not um, be able to eliminate those juvenile worms with just that one dose. And so efficacy against that four-stage larvae declines after 30 days. And by day 52, um, those larvae may no longer be susceptible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you that lose that period of time. Yeah, and that is scary that because, you know, I have a friend who's a vet. And she considers her dog her baby. I mean, absolutely. And she misses a few doses a year just because of her busy schedule, just what we were talking about, you know, the, our very full lives. So it happens. It does. You got it. We all do it. It's so easy to forget a monthly dose. Um, not, you know, it's not intentional. That's that's why a once, in year, once a year injectable heartworm preventative ProHeart 12 is so much easier. It ensures that year-long compliance, it takes that that opportunity to miss that dose away from, you know, from that pet owner who really truly loves their pet. And really it's just so easy, which is great. Well, we're just about out of time, but I'd love to hear a story from your veterinary life. You know, maybe something funny. Um, I've actually had a rhino charge at me while I was at the Los Angeles zoo. Um, 
One of my patients was a cat who was who wore hats at different times of the year, who was actually a movie star. Um, I've had some bird issues, um, but I won't go into that right now unless you want to. Do uh, you have anything that you might that might make us chuckle? Oh, I have bird issues. You have bird I issues. I definitely have bird. Oh, I have bird <laughs> issues. I, and, and it goes way back to when I was a little girl. And I, I'm I'm quite surprised that I still wanted to be a veterinarian because when I was little, my grandparents had a rooster, a mean little rooster named Tom. And he would wait for me. He would wait for me. My, my grandparents would have to come to the bus to get me because he would wait for me at the bus stop. And he would chase me around the house and he would he would just he just targeted me it was it was was so frightening and so from that time on I was afraid of birds and they just I think they just target me because I'm a runner and there's a trail that I like to run on and every time I run down that trail I get attacked by these red-winged blackbirds so that's my bird story so I I as much as I love all animals birds they just um I don't think they like me so I I would send them to somebody who specializes in birds. It's just okay. Not... <laughs> I'm having this picture of you running like you like like you're the Pied Piper with all these birds just running after you or flying after you. Is that is, is it like 20 birds? 50 no, birds? It's just 10 birds? It's just one one mean bird and I can't even watch <laughs> those bird shows, those scary bird shows because I I would have nightmares. I just can't do it. So no birds for me. Okay, no birds. birds. All right, absolutely. Okay, I'll make a note of that too. Um, All right, well, thank you, Dr. Early Murray, for sharing your story today. Uh, Hopefully, Gracie's story will encourage veterinarians and clients to have an increased awareness about how important it is to prevent heartworm disease. So thank you very much for sharing that story. I know that was tough. Thank you. I would have given anything to have had Gracie um, be able to have had a the luxury of had, um, having a preventative um, during her her lifetime. So it would have been great that she wouldn't have had to to go through it. So thank you very much. Yeah. Well, next up, we are going to talk in depth about ProHeart Twelve. Also, more quizzes, more stories, maybe more limericks. I don't know. Chrissy was a good sport. So just get ready for the ride because I've got a lot more fun trivia planned. And Max, the producer of this show, he's good. He has a bunch of great effects. So hang tight for that. Oh, there he goes. Great. I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this has been episode one of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis. Episode two is coming up. Here is some important safety information about ProHeart 12. Use ProHeart 12 in dogs 12 months of age or older. Do not administer to dogs that are sick, debilitated, underweight, have a history of weight loss, or to those previously found to be hypersensitive to the drug. Hypersensitivity reactions may occur in some dogs when ProHeart 12 is administered alone or with vaccines. Anaphylactic and anaphylactoid reactions can result in death and should be treated immediately with the same measures used to treat hypersensitivity reactions to vaccines and other injectable products. The most common reported side effects in clinical trials were vomiting, lethargy, diarrhea, and anorexia. People should avoid inhalation, contact with eyes, or accidental self-injection. Certification is required before veterinarians and staff administer ProHeart 12. 
See full prescribing information at www.proheart12.com.